You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Hey Liam, I've got a property that I want to make a movie out of. Let's do uh, some Dungeons and Dragons. Oh my god, I love that. that. That's so great. We could totally make a Dungeons and Dragons movie. Like big costumes, monsters, adventures, and, and the script writes itself. I and mean, just any MacGuffin and a hero's journey story, and you've, you've got the script. Oh, we don't need a script. Uh, oh, uh, I have some notes. Welcome everyone to I Have Some Notes, the podcast where we sit a bunch of wannabe screenwriters down in front of a microphone and roll for initiative. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are discussing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, the infamous 2000 film uh, named for the uh, famous role-playing game. Uh, and we are joined by a very special guest. Uh, she is a master's student in media and cultural studies at the U of A. She is an avid Dungeons & Dragons player with me and others, uh, and is a professional Dungeons & Dragons storyteller uh, in an improvised D&D show called YEG D&D. Her name is Glenna Showalter. Hello, Glenna. Hi, thanks for having me. Glenna, would you call, yourself, would you call yourself an expert on Dungeons & Dragons? Oh, very cautiously. <laughs> <laughs> that would make me a not-spurt, because I know nothing. Well... Uh, good news, you don't really need to know anything to see this movie, because this movie <laughs> assumes that you know nothing, and then also doesn't tell you anything. Yeah, this, uh, this uh, I, I I had very high hopes for this, because I, I really love Dungeons & Dragons, I've been playing a lot of it recently, because uh, of all that extra free time we've got, um, but yeah, this is uh, not the movie I thought or hoped it would be. Full disclosure, uh, I'm a big nerd, and I have been since... Uh, my teenage, my awkward, callow teenage youth. And uh, I went and saw this movie in theaters with my nerd friends. And we were excited to go. And oh boy, did this leave us uh, like a bad taste in our mouth. We walked out of that theater. I'm sure we looked like we were traumatized by what we had seen. <laughs> because it, it is not good, especially if I would... I would go as far as to say, especially if you're a fan of the material, it's not good. Yeah, that's heartbreaking. That's yeah. that's a heartbreaking story. It actually brought up memories of me going to see uh, Doom, the Doom movie with friends, <laughs> and having a similar experience. And uh, 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 this guy, Jesse, I remember as we walked out of the movie, he just went, guys, we need to go. We need to leave now. And we're like, what? He's like, we watched Doom. We need to go. And we like ran out of the theater as if we were getting away from something just to like cleanse the feeling. So I can, I can relate. Yeah. Go home um, and take a shower. Just, uh, I can't get it off. I, I'd say that this movie was kind of like the most 2000 movie that ever 2000. Oh boy. You know, like mm-hmm. it, you know, it just, it had, it had a very, um, I don't know if you guys got this, but it had very strong daredevil vibes to me. Um, oh yeah! Just I was I, I joked around in the chat, but I was half expecting the movie to end in like a Nickelback song or some <laughs> sort of like grunge rock. From the like the the special effects to the uh, really horrible dialogue, and it just had everything those early two thousands smash 
uh, you know, property cash grabs had. Yeah. Uh, the graphics in this movie did not hold up. And no. it looks like oh. it looks like a late PS one, early PS two <laughs> cutscene. Oh yeah, I found them weirdly endearing. I <laughs> like because I, like I rewatched Tron when we watched did Tron Legacy. I watched the old Tron, and it like I know those are not the same things at all. <laughs> but just of like, oh, we're so far past this now. It all just looks silly and fun. But I I can see it definitely would. There was like. Well, Pretty it, it, chunky. Look, it, was it looks crunchy. a lot. It looks a lot worse when you think that Dungeons Dragons was two thousand and Lord of the Rings was two thousand one. Oh yeah, yeah, you know what? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, that's it's. <laughs> yeah, there's a massive, out massive the timeline for me. The, two. Yeah. the weirdest part was at that beginning. So there's a dragon in the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. In in the lair, and then the dragon gets crushed by a door. And the blood somehow oh, oh. looked so much worse than the dragon itself. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could have spilled some dyed corn syrup all over the floor and just, you know, let it leave it at that. But nope, they had to pay the animator to do it. Yeah, and then... I don't know uh, why. And then animate some fire on the water, too. When oh, yeah. You can sure, pre- yeah. pretty easily light water on fire, but... Yeah, it's just, I mean, this is this is what this movie, to me, is really marred by, is just, like, deci- just poor decision after poor decision after poor decision. Kinda, yeah. Well, the uh, the, the Wikipedia article is a feast for uh, trivia, but we'll maybe get into that after we just uh, uh, set the table here uh, a little. Uh, of course, uh, directed by an individual named Courtney Solomon. Uh, if that name doesn't ring a bell to you, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Screenwriter Topper, Lylan, uh, and Carol Cartwright. Uh, and then, of course, it's starring, and these are names you're going to recognize, Jeremy Irons, uh, Bruce Payne, Justin Whalen, Marlon Wayans, and Robert uh, Mayno. There is... Did it again. Sorry. Oh, I just did it again where I didn't, didn't stick the landing on all the names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jeremy Irons, of course, the villain... Uh, Profion uh, and uh, Justin Whalen was the uh, star character, Ridley Freeborn, and then Marlon Wayans famously snails. Uh, some other characters don't even get names in this movie, so you know. Uh, I didn't know Ridley had a last name. He, yes, he does. He does say it. I, I I watched this movie twice because I picked up so little in the first round. I, I caught <laughs> it the second time. He, it's during uh, it's during a scene where he's introducing himself to the thief. I think. Oh, and he okay. goes through like a big like I'm such and such from such and such a place or whatever. Yeah, and he says Ridley Freeborn. This movie has an embarrassment of riches in the cast. I'm going to point out there mm-hmm. is there is a cameo by Tom Baker in this movie. Like there is no business for half of these actors to be in this film. Like they are punching way below their weight class, and some of them are clearly very aware of that because they are just chewing up the scenery jeremy irons hoovers up every set that he's on in this movie just nonstop. it's glorious oh yeah i wouldn't change jeremy irons performance at all <laughs> that's that's a definite keeper when we get there <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was pretty good um i'm a little iffy on bruce payne's performance he like, makes some, some choices ways, if- uh, for What's the that? record he makes some definite choices and for the record he is the <laughs> only character who returns in the sequel Despite the fact that he technically dies in this movie. <laughs> yeah, that never stopped anybody. No, a wizard does it and he's back. That's basically yeah. that's basically what happens. His combination of 
intensity and and slow deliberate delivery occasionally worked for me um but sometimes it just really felt like he was just trying to act through his teeth and it just didn't work at all yeah he he angrily whispers most of his dialogue yeah yeah got some fabulous lipstick though sure Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah, this uh, this movie, uh, it, it's heartbreaking to see that it doesn't look like it made its budget back. Uh, heartbreaking because, uh, again, uh, I've, I've come to learn that this was a real labor of love for most of the people involved. And the fact that it, it was uh, technically a flop uh, is is a bummer. But yeah, it only made $45 million and uh, did not make any of that back. Or sorry, its budget was $45 million and did not make uh, did not make it back. I mean, it kind so. of made it back in worldwide, if you count that too, but like barely. Yeah. Yeah. As I always like to point out with advertising and all that kind of stuff, I, I, I kind of doubt it. Yeah. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's hear from the trailer and then we'll uh, jump into our thoughts and keeps and cuts and whatnot. In a faraway world. All people deserve to be free and equal. The child is not fit to govern an empire. The forces of darkness. You can control dragons. With the dragon army at my command. This has got to be some twisted magic experiment gone seriously wrong. Have threatened to conquer a kingdom. What can I do to stop Profion? If you can obtain the Rod of Savril, you could control red dragons. I suggest we lay low, let the whole thing blow over, come back, rob everybody. There's one small problem. Problem? I kind of committed us to find it. of Izmir is a deeply divided land governed by powerful magicians who rule from a series of improbably tall and pointy towers. Far below, the commoners are powerless against the might of the mages, but don't seem to suffer in any particular or noticeable way. As oppressive regimes go, this one seems pretty okay. Yet, Empress Savina is in a struggle with the evil mage Profion to win equality for the commoners. When her leadership is challenged, Izmir's council threatens to take away her golden scepter, a scepter that controls a vast dragon army. Not satisfied with one dragon army, Savina seeks an even more powerful army of red dragons, promising to achieve equality through brutal military conquest. This sets off a series of fetch quests performed by a party of adventurers whose names and character sheets are unimportant. The heroes must now quest the fetches and return the jewels, rods, or whatever to their would-be progressive dictator and save Izmir. Yeah, sounds like a sounds like a good premise for a campaign. Uh, <laughs> it could have been but. a socialist opus. That's what I'm saying, and <laughs> mm-hmm. I will die on that hill. <laughs> yeah, it could it could have had anything to say. Uh, <laughs> it it sure seemed like it thought it did, particularly yeah. <laughs> in the there's a scene where the where Empress Savina is um, having a, a debate with Profion in front of the council and. I mean the the dialogue is so horrible, and the, and unfortunately the actress's delivery is just, she just can't keep up with Jeremy Irons, and uh, <laughs> none of it's working at all. And 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 it, it it definitely feels to me like that was like a scene where the 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 writer thought that they were really getting to something, you know? 
the tra- the heart of it. The tragedy is that no one can keep up with Jeremy Irons in this movie yeah, because he is going a thousand percent in this movie. <laughs> yeah, he knows what kind of movie he's in. Oh, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this uh, does the dwarf character's name actually get said at any point in the movie? It does not. I I I noticed that immediately because he just sort of like they bump into him. I'm like, oh, this is a nice meet cute for how they get the dwar- a dwarf in the party. Uh, and then uh, he is he never ha- has a reason to leave or stay. Nope. <laughs> and is never named. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, he, at some point, he says, "What choice do I have? I have to stay with you." And we all agreed that there was no reason for him to stay with them. No. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's several points in this movie where. Uh, characters are literally told by one of the other characters not to do stuff because it is Ridley's destiny. And so he does a lot of everything in this movie and the rest of his adventuring party does mostly nothing. And it, that's actually too generous. They never even throw around the D word. They're just, she's just like, he has to do it. It has to be him yeah. alone. With no explanation as to why. Or no, Even destiny is an explanation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, like, typically, like, you know, he'd find out, like, he's his father was such and such or something. Like, there would be some sort of, like, tacit reason why he's important. Yeah, there's... But the movie, ju- the movie just seems to want to convince us that he is just by telling us it. The... Right? Well, and they, they didn't even go the other way of trying to say, well, anyone can be important. Like, they could have done that, you yeah. know? Sure. Yeah. The... Like, there's a little bit of dialogue early on which seems like it's setting up that Ridley's father may have been a wizard, and then it's never paid off. And it's... Yeah, it really goes nowhere. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Because there's a moment where, like, he he uses I think it's the, the elf and, the, uh, the elder elf, the Tom the Tom Baker elf says something about there's magic in him. Well, and he also like he uses the magic map successfully, and then goes on oh, a right, magic yeah. map adventure that we don't get to see and happens off screen. That magic map scene was like was the like the biggest red flag early on that something was wrong. Was <laughs> yeah the movie the, the movie sets up that the the mage and the main character go off on a magical adventure in a mystical map. But rather than follow that, the more interesting thing that the movie decides to do is stay in the bar with the with the thief and the dwarf so that they can make bar jokes and ogle some women. And yeah, and then they come back from the map clearly have having had an arc. Like they were mad at each other, but now they're under the like the scene that would have had the like uncomfortable alliance happens off screen in a map and then they come back and then they deliver a bunch of exposition a bunch of vital exposition (laughs) uh, to the rest of the party to catch them up and then the movie continues I mean, speaking of exposition, the literal this movie. Now, granted, I think Glenn, can you actually tell us what happens at the very start of your? your, I don't want to out you as owning the DVD of this, but um, (laughs) we all rented it. You did on DVD, and you ended up. We noticed you're about a minute behind. So, at least from our end, it went New Line Cinema. Here's a bunch of exposition told over a foggy gray screen. A thousand years ago, the Empire. Like, it was whiplash. That was about the same of what happened. Like I just had the this this has been modified to fit your TV. Mm, this is the, the FBI warning. PG-13. Oh, yeah. Right. Yep. I had uh, to go over that. And I also didn't hit play the first time when you said go. <laughs> oh, <there> you go. <laughs> now, since you're watching the DVD, um, did any of the effects 
I don't know, because you don't have a point of comparison, but and did, did you feel at any point any of the special effects looked okay? Uh, I think we talked about the skeleton being pretty cool. Uh, right. But any of the, like, none of the CGI effects, if that's what you're asking. That's, All the CGI yeah, effects sorry, that's horrible. what I'm getting at. <laughs> yeah, the, there's the some, practical stuff was delightful. Yeah, there's some, like, orcs and goblins in the bar that are, like, puppets. And they look real good. And the skeleton was a sweet effect. We all agreed, like, that skeleton looks awesome. Um, but this basically everything else. the skeleton with the, uh, the scepter you're talking yeah, yeah, about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Liam also, just to go back a little bit, Liam mentioned Whiplash coming into the movie. And, I mean, you never get over that. Because the movie is just like a breakneck pace. It doesn't stop to let any moment breathe. And it's just like, this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens, then this happens. In in the time I have been doing the improv show I do with Glenna, um, I would say this hasn't happened uh, very much like in the past three or four uh, years uh, we've been doing it. But early on, this our, our show YEGD&D is going on almost a decade now. And this movie basically plays like an amateur improv long form show um, <laughs> where just like something happens, something happens, a character's introduced, something happens. We forgot to name that guy. Something happens. And there's not a lot of like pauses for emotion or even like exploring. Um, and early in the early years of YAG D and D, we definitely had some of those where we're just like, let's go do a hundred things for an hour and then call it a story. Um, yeah, we're much better now. Uh, come check us out. We're super tight. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, there, there was a time when I'm like, oh, this is, yeah, there's there's no character development. There's not a lot of emotional stakes. It's just action and things happening for a solid top to bottom movie. Yeah, th- this is kind of a common problem with a lot of the films that we review. Uh, just um, speeding through... Uh, all of the uh, important stuff to get to action or something or other and uh, forgetting about the things that that really matter and the things that make us care when we're in the action scenes which is like character development and motivations and yeah. uh, uh, Glenna, yeah. Glenna actually said in the chat while we were watching the movie uh, in the build up to the, the tr- like the, the very sad and emotional moment where snails is is murdered by the the black knight character uh damodar and glenna literally said i don't care about snails enough for this to have an impact <laughs> and and he's, <laughs> and he's arguably he's delivered a little better i think glenna yeah. said it much better well, yeah i'm, I'm oh, paraphrasing glenna, please <laughs> uh i said damn i wish i cared about snails yeah but the and he is arguably supposed to be the most likable character like he's set up as like the plucky sidekick right and yeah. like they fall flat on that and that is very telling here's, the, here's the tragedy of it scott is that i feel that as annoying as he was he was also the most likable character oof yeah sorry you're gonna say glenna i was just gonna say i feel like that they actually tried to let it breathe uh with his death I think is when they finally took a pause, but it was Mm -hmm. so like they hadn't built up any relationship with him. There's no relationship with the audience. Like we know that he and Ridley are pals and they travel together, I guess. But other than that, we had no reason to take such a long time with his character death. It was kind of like, okay, now be sad. (laughs) The, the lead up to it is, is just comical too, because 
he has stuffed the scroll that they're that they're trying to steal back from Damodar. Uh, Damodar's got you know a knife at his back, threatening to kill him. And what's his name? Hero guy runs in, and now they're at a standoff. And he looks at snails. Snails looks back at him, smiles, and then pulls the scroll out of his boot. And throws it three feet in front of him. And that's his sacrifice. <laughs> and then Damodar kills him. And, and then following that up, and like Aaron and we were watching this and we killed ourselves laughing. The the scream of anguish from uh, Ridley Freeborn as he drops <laughs> down to his knees <laughs> as if the worst thing has ever happened to him. His fists raised in the air. It's just it's just the worst. My favorite is how Damodar just lets him scream like that. Yep. Yeah, sure. There's yeah. there's a couple <laughs> like, moments. Going a real good to time to scroll. shank him, right? <laughs> there's there's a couple moments in this movie where we were legitimately like, why is nobody doing anything? Like Profion is attacking the the Empress with magic and literally the rest of the cast is just sitting there watching watching him do it. There's nothing yeah, stopping them good. from stopping him. And it's just like why are you not doing anything? And that was just another example of it, uh, where Ridley and the and and Miss Wizard are standing there, and Damodar could kill them, but instead he's letting them have their little moment. It's very strange. Yeah. Also, the mm-hmm. rules, the internal rules of the world are inconsistent because there was a point where. Miss Wizard, I literally don't remember her character name. Marina. Marina uh, gets captured. And we were like, like she used a whole bunch of magic earlier on. Why isn't she using any magic? Why doesn't she use magic to try to save herself? Why doesn't she use magic to help Ridley? Why doesn't she help magic to use snail or use magic to help snails? And then she like gets a, a bag full of spell components. And we were like, oh, this is a magic system where she needs to use components in order to generate her magic. But then later on, Profion is just hurling spells left and right without a thought. And it's like, what is it? What is the magic system? What are the rules here? Because Profion is breaking them right now. <laughs> uh, the rules are boys can have magic and girls need help. <laughs> mm, yeah. Or you need to very... the unfortunate lesson. Or you need to very clearly spell out that she is a, a wizard and he is a sorcerer. But... Uh, that's that's a little it's, Dungeons and Dragons nerdery there. Well, he was actually referred to as a warlock in the synopsis. Oh, well, there you go. That explains everything. Who no, wait, it doesn't yeah. because it wasn't actually explained in the movie. Yeah. yeah. The, this movie has nothing for D&D fans. It really has. I, 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 it was, there are no good. All, all, the only thing you can say about its relation to the game is you can be like, oh, I see what they were trying to do there. Sure like tying it back to the game but like it just in all the ways it missed all the things about D&D that matter and included a bunch of like poorly included things that don't really like yeah like the magic system is it doesn't make any sense and the, the like the, I, I think I've said this before but my, the most heartbreaking part for me where I, where I stopped rooting for this movie to be good and kind of gave up was when they introduced the beholders which if you're, for those of you who aren't, uh, Greg, not a D&D guy, it's like one of the classic D&D monsters. And it's a floating, 
like monster that's a circle with one big eye and a big mouth and a bunch of little eyes on the end of stalks. And they go around in caves. Uh, they live in caves. They're slightly telepathic, and they can shoot different lasers and shit out of the eyes. That's yeah. the bit. Yeah, they shoot lasers out of their eyes, and they have tons of eyes. And they so don't do anything in this movie. This movie, it's it's like they they're like, oh no, there's beholders at, out in a field. Better be careful, or they'll leave. and then the beholders fuck off to nowhere we never see them again they were in a field they get marched away no eye lasers they were in a field like patrolling around with human guards too which is a ridiculous like yeah i'll even give you that like if if, if, like if they were if they if they had like arby's that were using beholders as weapons i'd be like then then it's the the D nerdery where i'm pushing my glasses up on my nose being like "Mm, technically beholders live in caves and they hate humans they hate just eye lasers all you needed was eye lasers in a cave we actually that speaks to a bit of a broader problem too because there were a couple points where we were like what the heck is that and the the movie is mostly full of humans, except for like a token dwarf and a token elf here and there. And mm-hmm. then there's like a weird purple guy with three eyes and like a green guy with some like face paint on. And we were like, what are they supposed to be? And it dawned on us that this movie, despite having literally a book full of monsters to draw from, decided to just make up some random stuff. And we were just disappointed. <laughs> Where it's like, this would have been an opportunity to have literally any noteworthy Dungeons & Dragons monster show up. And instead, you painted a guy purple and put an extra eye on his forehead and made him stick out his tongue like a snake. Yeah. Well, I, I, yeah. going going back to the, the the magic system for for a quick second, I think, uh, Liam and Glenna, you had mentioned off-air that the writer had wanted to... Uh, the, the one thing that they were focused on was... Um, trying to make the systems of the game appear apparent in the in the in the script oh boy did, yeah the, did they fail yeah just according to wikipedia it was just sort of like they that's what he tried to convert and and left the world like the world of D was left on the table any of the classic characters or like like any like monsters yes named characters no named places no mm-hmm. um and yeah it, it just like they say but, like yeah, oh she yeah. From what I'm hearing from you guys, like he he failed at even making the character systems work in the in the film. Like you're saying that, like Scott was saying, like he didn't understand the rules of how magic worked or anything like that. So the one the one thing that they were trying to do didn't work. Yeah, we we couldn't even agree on what class Ridley is in this movie. Uh, we yeah. were quibbling over whether or not he's a thief or a fighter, and we ultimately decided, well, he must be a fighter thief because he can do both of those things. But then he also uses magic. What the heck is the guy? Um, and the party is completely unbalanced if you want to take a look at it from a Dungeons and Dragons standpoint because they don't have a healer at all. Like, there's no cleric character. It doesn't make sense. I mean, the, uh, not, like, not only does not only does the dwarf not have a class, he doesn't have a name. So you yeah. know, <laughs> I think he might have been a barbarian. He I think that was the lot. idea. He did yell yeah. a lot, and he was dirty and stinky, and he ate meat, and it was all in his beard. Apparently that beard was super itchy. Yeah. It's it another like tidbit it. from Wikipedia for you. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. it, did look, it did look that. It did look itchy. You know, sometimes you've got to make sacrifices for your art, and wearing an itchy yeah. beard is one of those things that you just sometimes have to do. Also asking for a character's name. That's another one. Yeah. Yeah, oh, he does have character. a name because it's in the credits. It's just In the same way Jeremy Irons a warlock, right? Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> if, if it's not in the movie, it doesn't count. 
Yeah. It's not in the text. <laughs> um, and, and I really, I It's really not in the text of to... a movie that is breaking the screenwriting golden rule because it's telling us everything rather than showing us anything. And it can't even tell us the important stuff. <laughs> Before we start hit, thinking about hitting the break, I, I just, I have to register my complaint about this because it, mm-hmm. it drove me absolutely nuts. So in the climax of the film... The there are two armies of dragons. One is gold, and mm-hmm. the other is red. Mm-hmm. Um, the city itself is mostly colored in yellows and reds um, and other earth tones. And in the middle of this big action set piece, the decision was made by the production design crew to also make it happen at dusk so you've got red sky against red buildings and red dragons and yellow dragons flying around the sky and it's just like as a, as a graphic artist it was just making my brain melt because like it's like you want some contrast in there somewhere just oh. just give me just give me a blue a shot of blue something somewhere <laughs> not only that like this, that the dragons the were of, indistinguishable uh, mm-hmm. like i could mm-hmm. not tell what dragons were which sorry Glenn, and i think no. also i was just saying generally the lighting was really really flat yep. if we're going to talk about the palette like there was one cool shot it was it was when uh ridley was in the second cave and he was, uh, it was his silhouette against that green smoke. That was a cool shot. And he had a lantern. And that was awesome. And I, li- I loved that. I even said it out loud as I was watching the film. But everything else was shot like a sitcom. Yeah. Like, just really high-key lighting. You could see everything. There was no contrast in the shadows. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and weirdly, like, it might have, it might have helped um, the CGI quite a bit to you know, make mm-hmm. it quite a bit darker. It's like, it, it's it's part of the reason why the T-Rex in Jurassic Park still looks good today is because they they filmed it, you know, in a, in a dark night rainy scene just so that, uh, it, you know, sometimes the, the, the crappiness of the CG would be sort of covered up by everything else that's going on. So you could have, in that in that initial dungeon scene with the, the dragon that gets killed by the door, like if that was a lot darker and a lot more contrasty, it may have not looked so terrible. Well, and it may have made the dragon look much more fearsome, too. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, they were they were so... The dragons were so bright. Um, they did, <laughs> also, the fact that one, one dies in the first... Like, a dragon dies in the first 30 seconds of the movie, and then later, there's hundreds of them just in the sky. Like, they really make dragons not special. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean. Like these are dragons, not like vultures. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a really good way of setting up how fearsome dragons are by killing one off right off the top. Yeah. Um. So, but hang on. Okay. So I like I came into this really wanting to like it. Like I knew it was bad, but I was hoping it'd be like weird. But I don't know. Uh, what is what is something you you did like about it? Like, what is one thing you like other than the sets or the costumes? Like one moment where you're like, "Yep, I'm having fun. I'm into this." great is was there a moment um for me it was it was the 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 thieves guild leader and his weird little dungeon maze trap uh, albeit pretty contrived 
Um, I had fun in that scene. Yeah, it's a pretty decent scene overall. That that was the first thing that popped to my mind as well, actually. Uh, as a set piece, it's pretty good. I don't know if Ridley was the right person to go through that maze, but as as an action set piece, it was pretty cool. Uh, Jeremy Irons is delightful. I, I wouldn't change him at all. No, yeah. I wouldn't change Jeremy Irons either. I'll tell you what I enjoyed about that um, thief maze scene is that I understood what the goal was and why it was happening. That was fun. That was that was refreshing. <laughs> Something that I really enjoyed uh, that I thought actually worked really well was when uh, the first half of the scene when Damodar has captured Marina and he's interrogating her for information. And mm-hmm. uh, I really appreciated Bruce Payne's performance of, of when he was saying, like, listen, I serve the Empress. I'm tired. I'm doing these things against my will. You have to trust me. You have to, like... You have to give me the information. And I thought that was a really good acting choice, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I really liked it. And then, of course, he's lying and he... Mind uses, laser? Yeah, he uses mind tentacles to read her mind. And it was unfortunate. Uh, but the first half I really enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, that, that scene was great, too. No, I, I even like the second half. It was a little, like, gruesome and grisly because, he, you know, he has tentacles come out of his ears and then into her ears. And it's like the worst Nick and Nora's infinite playlist you've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, then, then, you know, and again, those are the kind of creative liberties. Like that's clearly supposed to be a mind flayer. Again, another famous D and D monster. And it's like, okay, reimagine mind flayers as like brain slugs that can crawl in your ear and not, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Zoidberg guys fine by me. Um, That's, you know, but, but yeah, the, the, I, I, I know I, I probably started, the, like started this with positives, but I never went back off to it. But I, was, I, I like that whole scene too. I like. I was kind of surprised that the ear tentacle thing didn't seem dumber than it did. Like it actually, it didn't. I don't know. It seemed yeah, it fine <laughs> for the for a concept that seems silly. And it's if someone described it to you, it it seemed to work okay. I like the um, if we're gonna pick out some more things we liked that the the oatmeal rug was kind of <laughs> cool. <laughs> the oatmeal Where, uh, rug trap. Damon Wayans falls falls into like a quick sandy uh, throw rug. That was a good idea. Yeah, looked fun. I'm sure that probably started as a mimic, and then budget constraints were like, it's just a quick sand rug. Um, yeah. For the uninitiated, what is a, a mimic? A mimic it's is a, a monster m- that can look like any object. Yeah, okay. it's a, it's any a monster that opens. Oh. Yeah, it's a monster that disguises itself disguises itself as innocuous things so it can eat you. But yeah, the opening is the key thing, so it has a it has a natural jaw, whether it's a book or a chest or a door. It's like right. Okay, yeah. I've seen a pretty effective uh, sketch of a ladder mimic that was pretty terrifying. So many mouths. <laughs> oh no, it's uh, the ladder is the tongue. We'll just leave it at that way. I'll let you. I'll let your mind fill in the rest. Well. Um... I definitely have, a, I think this is the most fixes I've got for a movie because it's so start, top to bottom just needs to get like, it's more just what, here's what I would do than, than notes for what's in front of us. But uh, I'm excited to hear all of your notes as well. How with, let's say we get into it. In Alberta, you get to choose where you buy your energy from. You get to choose that. That's the thing you can choose. BC, no, Saskatchewan, get out of here. Alberta, you can choose where you buy your energy from. And if you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Hey, money, quit packing your bags. 
Don't head over to Saskatchewan. You can't choose where you buy your energy from there. Money, you stay right here. Get cozy, sit on the couch, your money stays here when you choose Park Power. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits. No, Park Power, they're not-for-profit. Don't They don't want it. They don't want your profits. It's right there in the name. They're working to make a difference in their communities. Oh, that's probably what they want the profits for. So yeah, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference in their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kazaski, And we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network. So it's a great fit. Park Power, Chris Kazaski, Alberta Podcast Network, money that has stayed here, its bags are unpacked. All of it, great fit together. You can learn more at parkpower.ca. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. Let's share our notes on Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, I definitely have some thoughts, but... Uh, Please I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, go first. Yeah, because... you know what? I'm going to go first, <laughs> I think, this time, because I, I, my whole thing is, is like we can keep the characters, whatever, um, but I, I'm thinking top to bottom, essentially, a rewrite... This is how I would do a D&D movie. You do it the same way you, you plan a D&D session. You pick a couple of the monsters that you want to use. In the case of a movie, maybe three of them for three acts. Pick some locations that are uh, both uh, diverse in their um, sort of set aesthetic uh, and also nods to D&D fans. Um, but it doesn't, you know, if you know what a, a dwarven, you know, a named dwarven citadel is, great. If not, you're a movie person or a movie watcher watching a dwarven citadel, like you figure it out. Um, and <laughs> then just put four four characters, each unique but different, very Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, pick a MacGuffin. Again, millions of them in famous D&D ones, Vorpal Sword. Uh, you know, there's, there's tons of them. Uh, and, and just like stick to the the basics and and i think this movie a lot of the notes i read was that uh courtney solomon uh not a not a director uh didn't have experience directing and uh they sort of the investors made him direct it and it and it shows uh so i know it seems sort of tried to be like oh wholesale rewrite with all of these broad things i said but it's to make a satisfying D movie you just it's a it's a spine of an adventure story using elements taken from the books it's really all you need like it's yeah is that too simplistic or do you, do you see what i'm saying oh yeah no i mean it's a it's a good um starting place i think for for anyone who wants to make a, a Dungeons and dragons film I, I, for and, me and scott scott touched on something early on that i really like too that i want to incorporate uh it was make it slightly more improvised make it uh, a, a little bit more loosey-goosey and fun, and I think that's how you recreate the fun improvised storytelling that happens around a table, because that's really the other element of D&D that I love. Yeah, it's all the fantasy bullshit and stuff, but it's it's essentially improv with your friends at a table, and I love improv, and you could absolutely bring that energy to the movie set by just like, going a little more Christopher Guest with it, right? You, you know, um, you know what I might do with it, um, it's instead of making it an actual I, I this this may bother people but like i, I could see dnd a dnd movie working as a movie that is uh about a bunch of kids playing dnd around mm-hmm. a table I, and the story is sort of like mirroring 
the things that are happening in their real life. Um, you know, so you get you 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 get all the you get all the the action and the and these emotional beats within the story, and then uh, coming out of it and seeing how it's affecting uh, the real players. So a little bit Stranger Things and a little bit Tunnels and Trolls. Sure, yeah. I haven't heard of the second one, but definitely Tunnels and Trolls was a Tom. Things. It was a Tom Hanks movie about the dangers and perils of playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, really? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. It's. Is it's, this in around like the great. Satanic Panic? Era? Oh, it is a hundred percent because of the Satanic Panic. <laughs> it is. Yeah, no, it I, is Satanic Panic the movie. I was having the same thought about like a framing narrative with people playing the game might be fun. It could be clunky. It'd be easy to mess that up, but I think it could be a fun nod because that's the other like you don't show the rolling of the dice or those mechanics in the adventure story, but that's still part of the game, and that's part of why people love the game too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a TV series uh, called uh, Harmon Quest where where Dan Harmon plays D and D live on stage, but like they're rolling the die, and then it's animated over. And it's, it's wonderful because they bounce between these people playing a game in front of a live studio audience to this, like, animated fantasy adventure thing. Uh, and it, it, it works really well. I don't know if maybe that's not quite how you do it in a movie um, where it's so literal and live. But, like, the bouncing back thing has been proven to work. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's a, um, there's a way to tell a real... Um coming of age human type uh, like story um with the kids but you know um have them tell their story through the through D, and i think that would actually be quite interesting it even uh, it's like princess bride i mean that's what sure, princess bride yeah. is like yeah. although i guess i mean there's not re- I, yeah well maybe fred savage has a little bit of an arc i suppose in that at first he's grossed out by kissing and then he's not <laughs> Yeah, or, or, spend, or spend a little more time more with little... Fred Savage and Grandpa. Yeah, yeah, and you've got right. yeah, yeah. He's got a little arc where he's just yeah, he's uh, he's learning to love his grandpa a little bit more. So yeah, no, it's touching. Yeah, something like that. Uh, maybe a little bit more involved. This... I, I, as for this movie itself, like I, I, for me, the, the 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 thing that I found lacking in this movie was is is um, doling out more backstory into the world that we were living in. And if I'm not mistaken, that's kind of a big chunk of D&D. Like, don't a lot of people spend a lot of time working on the backstories for their characters? Oh, yeah. I, th- I yeah. think a, ca- a character focus is... This movie needed more character focus to be a movie, but a D&D movie would need great focus on either the party members, kind of the way, like, Guardians of the Galaxy did it, um, or on players playing... D and D and like you get this sort of like mirror and juxtaposed by like oh maybe the the meek kid or person because adults play is yeah. the barbarian or like you know the the one who needs to come out of their shell is the bard yeah um there's absolutely that angle or just even within if if you don't have that framing device the bard needs to be super bardy and the the barbarian needs to be super barbariany like really get get into the meat of those archetypes like really really lean hard on archetype storytelling. Well, and just building an ensemble. Mm-hmm. Like, this film had uh, has the potential. You've got a party, right? Yes, it's an unbalanced party, but it's still a party of your, your you've got your fighter thief or whatever. Mm-hmm. You've got your thief thief. You've got your wizard and eventually you have an elf ranger and then there's a dwarf in there. Like that's the makings of an ensemble and with a strong ensemble cast, I think even, even this, the way it is 
I would have cared if I cared about the characters and I cared about their relationships. I would have enjoyed it so much more. You might have cared more about the characters if the ensemble had actually ensembled and not just been set dressing for Ridley to go and do stuff in front of. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, the, the easy, other real failing of this movie is that you have a cast of you have an adventuring party who never actually does any adventuring. They just stand there and watch one guy do all the adventuring. Yeah. Um, yeah, like the, and they go through multiple dungeons, but it's just Ridley does all the dungeon by himself. You never have an opportunity for the elf or the dwarf or the wizard or the thief to actually like show off their skills and do something special and contribute to the story. I, I, yeah. Just to, to get back to what I was sort of getting at before, just before I lose my train of thought, the, the if you don't, I think with most fantasy films, um, the, the the mythos behind everything is is pretty key at least it is to my enjoyment i think it's why um i think it's why a lord of the rings works so well because you know token built this really rich world even though those you know the books when you read them a lot of the time they're they're quite boring but like there's just there's just so there's just so much there uh, on uh, so much detail in every page that you can you you know you feel you're, that this is a lived-in universe, and this, that's where this movie specifically I think fails because you never get a sense that the commoners, for example, uh, are feeling any strife. Um, and I often tip my hat to what my changes are going to be in the in the <laughs> the plot summary that I write, but like the the. Like they, they need. We need to see them suffer, or we need to have an avatar um, for the commoners. In this case, it would probably be Ridley, right? Like he, he's just kind of like a nonchalant thief that doesn't care about much of anything. Um, and and he seems to be living life fairly okay. We don't, we don't, we don't get to see him living in any sort of squalor or anything like that. Like if we saw the beginning of the outset of the movie that, you know, life was tough for him, then we would immediately understand that life is probably tough for the commoners for which the Empress is fighting for. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why there's like, there's no, they, they, they constantly have to tell us that like the Empress is the good guy or the good guy because, you know, she's fighting for the, the, the quality of the mages and the in the commoners but we, like we never we never get a sense of that because it looks like everyone's just doing fine um and, and i like and that little bit it would also just you know give us at least a little bit of world building so that we understood the universe a little bit more and certainly spending more time with um uh what's her name what's the the lady wizard's name again marina marina <laughs> she you know, I, I, she could be a really interesting character and a gateway for us to understand what the mages are all about because she is uh, a magician in training, you know, and we can learn about, you know, what they are, what their powers are, what their limitations are through her, you know, so spending a little more time with her and, and world building through her would be helpful as well. Yeah, there's like zero world building. And yeah, which is just fucking wild for a Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, and um, the, for a fantasy movie, let alone a Dungeons yeah, and Dragons yeah, movie. Exactly. Yeah, the Lord of the Rings movie from a year later also shows that you don't have to sacrifice character development for world building because it pretty aptly juggles the two. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact yeah. that those movies are a year apart is staggering. Like, yeah. I mean, the, Lord, the Fellowship of the Ring has a, like a twenty-minute prologue, just to sort of like keep get you up to speed on what's happening and why. And like in in you know, it, some people may not love um, those kinds of prologues, but it really sets you up for everything you need to know. And sometimes, sometimes doling out. Uh, exposition like that is necessary and if you do it well the way that Peter Jackson did in that movie it all works fine yeah um uh oh yeah go ahead Glenna I want to see the scene inside the map yeah (laughs) yeah that's a change I think there's some really cool adventuring capabilities that could have happened uh they talk about how they see a wraith which is a classic D&D monster uh, there's some romantic tension that we clearly missed. There's, there's all learning about what the thing is. Uh, put yeah. put the scene in the map back in, please. <laughs> well, and some of the world building was in the map because they then mention, oh yeah, we we got a whole history lesson, and here's the cliffs notes, and it's yeah. like, no, I want I want the whole history lesson. Tell me the the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. At least, at least that seems like it got cut. To, we, sorry, go ahead, Liam. Oh, that, it seems like it got cut, like either in the script or maybe even on the on the editing bay. There was a scene in the map that we just didn't see because of budget constraints or time constraints or you know script editing. Yeah, but, yeah. I I kind of get that impression as well that there was something more there that got cut. Yeah. By a very yeah. strange choice. Like if we saw if we got some exposition from that scene then we wouldn't have to be in the room with a skeleton and the skeleton awkwardly giving us exposition at the end of the movie. Is, <laughs> yeah. It's just so irritating. Yeah, that skeleton, just, as good as he looked, he as soon as they take the staff out of his hand, he just starts spewing exposition, and I couldn't help but imagine that he's been sitting there for millennia, like, waiting, like, someone's gonna come, and I gotta tell them all the things they're gonna know. Don't, don't nail, don't, don't screw it up, Terry. You only got one shot at the... <gasps> here he comes, here he comes, here he comes. Okay, uh, you've been practicing this. You've been waiting for this. <laughs> Stay quiet until he gets right up to you. <laughs> well, and the thing is, you could keep the skeleton scene. Just put the skeleton in the map. Yeah. Yeah, or he just rips a, yeah rips the thingy off of a dead skeleton, which would also be kind of creepy and, and fine. The skeleton doesn't necessarily need to talk. Or it gets up and attacks him. Classic dungeon skeleton. For sure, yeah. yeah. Classic. <laughs> perfect opportunity for an action beat that never happened in that entire scene. Yep. Um, I okay. My big note for this movie. I, I have a haven't really said what my big note is for this movie yet. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, comes back to interestingly something that uh, the people who are currently the creative heads for Star Wars recently said. Bear with me. They were mm-hmm. lamenting when people were complaining about this most recent Star Wars movie. Uh, they were lamenting how, you know, it's hard to come up with new material for for this thing that's been around for so long that people are so attached to. If, if only there was material that could be adapted. And people were frantically gesturing at the hundreds of Star Wars books that currently exist and just being like, what are you talking about? And... I am doing the same here with Dungeons and Dragons. Um, mm-hmm. At the time that this movie came out, there were dozens of books published by TSR and uh, Wizards of the Coast that took place in 
any number of the like established campaign worlds that exist already. So your Greyhawk, your Dragonlance, your Forgotten Realms, your Ravenloft, your Dark Sun, your Spelljammer, etc., uh, etc. Et they could have adapted any one of those books into a film, and it would have been a hundred times better than this. Because and and the books have all the stuff that they want. You've got a party of adventurers that fall into the classes. You have uh, references to the tropes of the game. You have references to the classic monsters in the games. They're all right there. And it was such low-hanging fruit. And somehow they didn't even think to pick it. And it blows my mind. Why do these people, when they want to adapt uh, a, a property like this, not look at the existing material that's already there? It, I, I just don't understand why they didn't make a Dragonlance movie. Dragonlance is an epic series that spans literal generations of characters. It's right there. <laughs> and they didn't even think to do it. And it it just, it makes me crazy. <laughs> That's kind yeah. of my big note, is that like they could have literally adapted one of dozens of already written stories. It was, it was there for the taking. And instead they decided to write this slapdash thing that doesn't do justice to the source material that they're trying to make a movie out of. So that's, basically that's adapt one valid. of those books yeah. is basically where I'm going. Yeah. Uh, page yeah, one, rewrite, feel, adapt it, one it of those books. It feels like most of us are in sort of the, the uh, area of like, eh, it's a page one rewrite. Kind of. <laughs> Just well, and throw this, this is, script in the trash. This is a double whammy too, because not only could they have adapted any of the fiction, they could have taken a literal adventure module from Dungeons and Dragons yeah. off the shelf and written a story about it. You could have written Keep on the Borderlands. You could have written Castle Ravenloft. You could have written, uh, you could have written any number of these classic adventures as a movie. And people who are who are hardcore fans of the game would have lost their minds to have and a two horror movie. Like, oh my god! Yeah. And anyone who wasn't sees a perfectly serviceable fantasy movie. Exactly. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if I have anything for, like, this specific movie, because it was just, like, it was kind of a... Like, there were some cool moments and cool choices, but it was mostly incoherent nonsense. <laughs> so here's here's one that we I talked about with my roommates after watching last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Ridley has his big battle with Profian, that's his first time meeting Profian. Right? Mm, kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. They've spent the entire time dealing with Damodar, and then he comes in and has to deal with this big bad who he doesn't really know and who ha- he hasn't impacted at all. So my yep. note, our note for that is, do we need both of them? Should we, in fact, have Profion and Damodar be the same person? Which I know, tragic, we would lose either Jeremy Irons or Bruce Payne. I want both of mm-hmm. them. But for the sake of the story, I think it would be much stronger if they were dealing with the same villain throughout the entire time, and then the climactic battle would actually have some stakes. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Or, or if just I mean, uh, oh shit, what's her name? Marina. Marina um, <laughs> uh, has like the, a loose tie to him, like slightly. Um, but yeah, just even tying any any of the characters to him. You know, having and and having any of the characters meet him early on, and you can still keep two of them. Even I think you might be right for efficiency, just making them one character. But like introducing your villain to the protagonists early on is like 
it's actually a lesson I learned in DMing D&D uh, a little too late. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just being like, hey, take your villain, dangle it in front of the the, the players, or I'm, I'm starting to sound like I do, but like in front of the, the party and then pull them away, send henchmen, whatever. But now there's like some personal tie to them. I'm, yeah. I'm going to slightly disagree with you. Um, you don't need to do that if the scope of the villain is established because the a villain's reputation and shadow can be just as effective as his face and that's all like it's not done here either but um because sorry i, I, I'm going I don't to, mean necessarily like like bumping in face to face necessarily okay, I know it's phrase it that way but just like some kind of a connection some kind of a like well yeah. the because the example i was going to use is darth vader and the emperor darth vader is the damodar and the emperor is the profion and like the real the real stakes and the real uh the real conflict is between Luke and Vader but the mm-hmm. emperor is like hovering over all that and you but could But even have... Obi-Wan has a connection to him. Exactly. And you could have you could have a similar situation going on here but Profion is never really established as to go back to Star Wars as the emperor character in this and mm-hmm. like he's he's nobody to the to the characters if it was established that the the mages were an oppressive regime because of profion uh then at the very least like ridley and snails would have a reason to hate that guy right out of the gate and when they Mm -hmm. meet him later even though like yeah uh damodar has been the guy who's dogging them this whole time like they know that damodar is Profion's dog and Profion's the real manipulator here and they they they're gunning for him. But in this case, you're right. Like all of their hatred is on Damodar and Profion's just some guy. We know that Profion is Damodar's boss, but the the heroes don't. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think you could have even had uh here's kill two snails with one stone. Hmm. Uh you could <laughs> if if Profion had been there at the uh execution the at during the murder of snails yeah the castle uh, yeah if 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 uh they had agreed to to swap him at, for the scroll and it was all going to be okay but then profion was the one who ordered the kill that would give us a very tangible reason to hate him and to bring him in later oh 100% yeah that's great, great i think the the reason the emperor in in return of the jedi works so well is um uh one he's very successful in all of his plans uh, right up to the end like he's he's ostensibly winning constantly um but he also the reason that there's you know there's some good tension between luke and the emperor is because he spends like half the movie taunting him uh-huh. also and true. and and trying to tempt him, and obviously there's none of that between Profion and uh, and Ridley. Anyone? Um, yeah. So you don't. <laughs> you know. You have to. There. You can. You can have that. That all powerful emperor type, but you. You still need to have. Um. You know, a scene that uh, that puts them in in conflict together, and 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 at least you know have an opportunity for them to understand each other's um, um, motivations and in, in history or whatever. Uh, uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw this out there. 
uh, based off of all the Star Wars talk that we've been doing. Um, Ridley's set up as having magic in his blood. Uh, it's implied that his father was some kind of wizard. He's able to use a little bit of magic, but we never actually find out anything about his father. What if Profion was his dad? <laughs> like, the instant Maybe relationship. Little... <laughs> yeah. Instant relationship. Yeah? It's also very clearly Star Wars. <laughs> Yeah, I, would, I would also no, I would no. also suggest like taking a Profion and making him more more shadowy um, like the Emperor and more more successful and competent. Um, so actually, well, here's here's a pitch uh, that I, I sort of didn't didn't add to what I said earlier because I wanted to to lean more on the uh, improvise it and use uh, monsters and places from the books uh, was sort of my bigger note. Um, but the other thing that kind of makes D&D D&D is it is a lot of, like, traps and dungeons and monsters and not so much, like, a guy with a plan. Hmm. Uh, and so I I almost... My, my, my idea for the movie would be have no villain villain. Have no, like, guy who's out to get them. Essentially, it's it's forces of nature that are are the problem, uh, be it ancient tombs or beasts in the woods, um, and perhaps the final boss is like what comes out of the gem when you click all three pieces together. You know what I mean? Like, um, or the lich that they know they will awaken to get the last MacGuffin. Kind um, of. Uh, so I, I'd even go one farther and say let's let's lose the villain altogether. <laughs> kind of an onward situation. Yeah. Very much so. For those and of you who are familiar with, yeah, onward uh, and onward was a good Dungeons and Dragons movie, really. It was. It absolutely was. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna have to watch Onward now. Sweet. Oh, there you go. There you have it. And now we do it. Go, go watch, watch Onward. onward. <laughs> 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 yeah, I think. Uh, yeah. Um, and thank you all to uh, who commented on our uh, Facebook and Twitter feeds. Uh, we do appreciate it when you share your listener comments. Uh, this one here, we also had a great uh, some answers to a question, which I, I appreciate as well. Uh, so let's uh, go to the listener comments. Uh, Nathan Martin just said, "Oof, this movie." Well, I'll say good luck on trying to fix this one. We did fix it. We said, "Go see onward." <laughs> yeah. Or You're I welcome. mean, I think we just came up with better, better places to start than whenever they try to did. Like I, yeah. I mean, uh, Glenna and Greg suggested frame it as a game. I suggested do it more improv. Actually, and, uh, Scott, you were saying adapt a source material that already exists. Something I didn't yeah, get a chance to mention didn't before. Get into the weeds of it as much as we usually do. But, but that's because uh, this one requires yeah. such an overhaul. One yeah. thing I didn't mention before, actually, I'm just gonna bring it up. Greg and Glenna had both mentioned frame it. Uh, as, a, as a game being played by kids. The classic Dungeons & Dragons cartoon was kind of that. It was a group of kids playing D&D who get drawn into the world of D&D. That in itself might have been for might have made for a good adaptation. You for know, like basically Jumanji, but Dungeons & Dragons? Yeah. There's like a helpful dungeon master who's there, like helping them fight Tiamat. And uh, they they all like our character classes. The little kid is like the barbarian. They have a friendly unicorn helping them out. It's a, it's a pretty good time. It's it's total eighties cartoon, but uh, I'm just saying that it reminded me of that because that was kind of the idea that the cartoon had hit upon. Yeah. Again, again, just another thing that the movie didn't even consider. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess did they consider it as speculative? But I know what you mean. Like maybe, maybe it was considered, and they foolishly left it on the table. Uh, <laughs> um, Grunkle Stan says snails. Just, just all the snails and the map scene. You mean the not map scene? <laughs> <laughs> the the lack of map scene. Yeah. Um. Yeah, those were our uh, sort of comments on the on the nature of the movie. Uh, but uh, we we did ask what tabletop game might actually work as a feature film. Uh, Herman from the Modern Manhood podcast said, "Give me Dutch Blitz the movie." Done. Just what does that look like to you? People punching each other in the face. Yeah, there's a lot of violence in that one. That is that is a very tactile card game. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's why actually why I don't like Dutch Blitz because I'm like if I wanted to play something that was like tactile and physical, I'd go play a sport. <laughs> um, I also find I, I Dutch Blitz. I'm like I, from now on, if I ever play it, it's only on a square table with equal equidistant. Like everyone's in the same chair, everyone's got the same distance from the middle. <laughs> that's just me though. This isn't game gripes though. Uh, <laughs> Michael Senchuk says, I bet you could whip up a pretty good storyline around Catan. I think they wrote a book about Catan, actually. What would that look like? Would it just be like a, like a, like a real, like, settlers, like... Like Little House on the Prairie, but in Catan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Little House right. on Catan? Yeah. There you go. And there's a, there's a robber. <laughs> yeah, there's your, the villains built in. Yeah. <laughs> He only comes on the seventh, they say. <laughs> uh, was a, some deep cut Catan jokes there for Aaron. Uh, Alan from the PS2J podcast uh, asks, Real Steel? Real Steel, Har-har. I think he's implying is based on Rock'em Sock'em Robots. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Good is movie, it, though. Pretty is, decent yeah. movie. Is it? Yeah. It's not bad. Uh, wild. Well, this just makes me want to do Chappie again, because if you want to see Hugh Jackman in a mech, uh, Chappie's got that, too. Um, I would, is Hugh Jackman in Chappie? Yes, I say, quickly Wikipediaing it. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, it's it's. I, I always go back to saying we should do Chappie one of these days, because the ending is... It's it's a weird movie, and then the ending goes off the rails. But uh, it's not time to talk about Chappie. Uh, it's time to bring it home uh, with our other comments. Nathan Martin says, uh, I will say the one game in that in the right hands would make a great film would be Silent Hill. I know they've done it, but the first one is actually pretty good. Uh, point of order, yep. Nathan Martin. Silent Hill, not a tabletop game. It is a video game. Well, you can put a video think... game on top of your table. Yeah. <laughs> well played. Well played. Nathan, go- <laughs> Nathan goes on to comment, the confusing parts of the original Silent Hill film were parts that they were forced to do. There were originally no men in the film. Nor should there have been. That, that's my note. No, there shouldn't have been men in that film. Correct. <laughs> uh, Andrew Craig says, games that would work. Shadowrun, Candyland, Battleship. Oh, wait. Hey, that might be an episode idea, actually. <laughs> yeah, we should probably get around Oh, yeah, we should definitely do point. Battleship, because, uh, yeah. <laughs> Candyland would make for a... I, I can't see it as being anything other than an animated film. Well, you'd be a Pixar. It's, movie, well, right? they already they already made Candyland the movie anyway, and Did I hated they? it. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, it's called Wreck It Ralph, and it's super frustrating. Yeah, and let's yeah, be yeah. fair, Shadowrun, that's basically bright, right? Wait, you found Wreck It Ralph frustrating? Why? Because it was just Candyland the movie. I that 
that movie they sold me on it's gonna be video games and then it was like actually it's Candyland, and i was like oh you wanted I, you wanted ready player one but you got an i wanted movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know what fair enough good point <laughs> actually i think i said that i think when i watched ready player one i walked out of it being like my criticism of wreck it ralph was it wasn't enough video game references and now having got what i got <laughs> you know maybe you, you're right maybe one of those things where you need to be careful what you wish for yeah yeah, yeah and um Oh, sorry. Go on. There's Go actually uh, a College Humor's podcast, Dimension 20, where they do actual play, did a Candyland Game of Thrones style uh, campaign. Called yeah, I saw Candy trailer and for it. That is how you do it, is you get into the, the deep <laughs> political uh, minutia and the, of, uh, the battles Candyland. The, of Candyland and the armies, and you make it super, super serious, except everyone is made of candy. <laughs> And the candies, fuck. <laughs> Gross. Uh, do, do any of you have games, uh, tabletop games or board games you, you would like to see uh, adapted? Oh, boy. Where do I even start? I'm surrounded in my basement right now by over oh, yeah. 200 I board re- games. That's the wrong guy. <laughs> I would like to see Eldritch Horror. Mm-hmm. Like any, or Mansions of Madness, uh, Arkham Horror, any of those, like, Cthulhu uh, Lovecraft inspired board games I think you can make a really cool film oh yeah like call I think even call of Cthulhu is a is a role-playing game right yep mm-hmm. that's like set in like 19 like 1930s like yeah uh, 1920s yeah. actually but yes 20s thank you yeah there's a super cool aesthetic you've got just tons of lore um, and if it's something that would make HP Lovecraft the man upset it's probably good yeah, he would hate it a lot. Sweet. Fun fact. Uh, I'm going to go and pitch Twilight Imperium. Uh, it is a vast 4X-style board game where you play the myriad races uh, of a galactic empire that has shattered, and you're all now racing for control of the capital world and potentially the throne of the galaxy. And diplomacy and politics and war and intrigue are afoot, and uh, boom, there you go. Cool IP. Uh, make a movie out of it. Do do a grand space adventure. You guys are all missing out on uh, on, on a clear winner for making a movie out of a out of a game. It's got it's got great characters. It's, it's healthy, wholesome, fun. It's it's got a great plot, and it's called Bananagrams. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's so wholesome. <laughs> Just like a really earnest, just like an Aquila and the Bee, like an earnest, like spelling movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> that'd be very sweet. Yeah, nice. Well, that uh, brings us to the end of our episode on Dungeons and Dragons. Thank you very, very much, Glenna, for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. It was de- a delight. Do you have any pluggables that you would like our uh, our fine listeners to know about? Uh, I will, I'll do a dual pluggable for uh, Liam and myself. We're both part of a sketch comedy group called The Debutantes. Uh, and yes. if you go to thedebutantes.ca, you can look at some of our hilarious videos that we uh, filmed and put that up. Yeah, we actually, we have online. a D&D sketch too. So there you go. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for uh, uh, joining us here. And yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy making comedy with you. And I'm glad I got to uh, bring you in on the podcast. So. Aw, thanks, Liam. Welcome back anytime. Hooray! I'd love to come back sometime. 
you can find all of our episodes over at IHaveSomeNotes.com. If you like the show, please take a brief moment to rate and review us on iTunes. It really helps us impress Tim Cook. <laughs> Uh, if you're looking for some new podcasts to add to your queue, you can head over right now to albertapodcastnetwork.com. You will find a lot of other great shows, including fellow movie podcasters, a uh, little shout out to Bollywood is for Lovers, Emily Missed Out, and Repodcasting, three great fellow podcasts, just one of a bevy that you can check out right now, once again, at albertapodcastnetwork.com. And I have some notes as a bi-weekly show, so tune in two weeks from now for uh, Tom Hardy's Venom. Dun-dun. Until then, uh, I've been your host, Liam Prezak. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Wash your hands, Black Lives Matter, and keep watching the sky. Hello, the podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm Kyle and I'm the host of Creative Block. It's a podcast where I talk with artists and creative entrepreneurs. So if you're curious to understand the minds of theater producers, local actors, podcasters, or even a guy who created a company making houses out of old shipping containers, then you should come and subscribe to Creative Block, a podcast that comes out twice a month. That's not a threat. It's just a promise. Available anywhere you download podcasts.